ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Um, make sure you follow me on social media at DM Grubb or visit H-I-T-P-W-D Grubb on Instagram. And you can check my website, H-I-T-P-W-D-G.com to follow all the things I do from writing, TV, radio appearances, everything there. But today's podcast is one that I'm really excited to do. Um, I'm with a friend, a colleague, and someone I think brings a, a different perspective than a lot of the guests that we have on this show. Uh, so let me just do it without further ado and welcome Aisha Deal to Hard in the Paint. Thank you for having me. I'm um, so this conversation. I'm so glad to have you. We've, you know, you and I have kind of developed a a, a good friendship and a good uh, working relationship over the, the last year, yeah. and. It's really been tremendous because out of all, you know, we've had all these things going on negatively yeah. in this country this year, but I found that a lot of us as black creatives, content makers, um, are, are meeting each other, coming together and yeah. augmenting each other's voices and yeah. lifting each other up in a time where it's not only needed in the, the main part of society, yeah. But we need it for each other in with all the things that are going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's helped it's helped a lot. I feel like I've bridged a lot of gaps um since this pandemic started. And just like you said, connecting with other content makers, content creators, you know, just like we have to find ways to make this fresh because we're we're doing, you know, radio and media from home. Um and it just means that we have to all be a little bit more creative, but I feel like we've done a good job with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I've had to change my ideas and, and how I approach things because you just can't rely on somebody else to generate content for you to adapt. Now you really yeah. have to do it. Test your creative creativity as a writer, as a presenter, as, and just how you relate to your audience. Cause their concerns are different now. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think it's pushed all of us. Um, it pushed all of us a little more than we anticipated, but you know, we're in COVID times, so sink or swim. Absolutely. Now for folks who don't know, you are a New Orleans native. I am. And first tell folks about, you know, your New Orleans days, get it, let them get familiar with the NOLA. I should do. Well, I mean, I've been back and forth to, um, to New Orleans for years. I mean, I left, New Orleans um, and came to California when I was almost 10. So I've been in California a long time, but I still go back and forth because my siblings, um, all of my cousins, you know, everyone's in, in New Orleans. So um, it's a huge part of my life. It's always going to be a part of my life because my whole family's there. So, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of being from New Orleans and I couldn't be a bigger Saints fan. That's and that's where our relationship kind of started with yeah. um, with your Saints fandom. Uh, they started training. They start training camp tomorrow, and yeah. we're still worried and thinking about whether or not there's going to be a football season. But all things being equal, if there is, you have to be excited about the talent that the Saints have 
and one more opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl. I do. I think that I was sad to see Teddy go. I'm not, not going to lie. Um, I just felt I would have felt much more secure having him as a backup um, quarterback. But I'm also proud of his his success. I know that they said the Pac-10 is not coming back, right? Like that's done. The Pac-12 right? is Pac-12. pretty much done. The Big Ten is probably pushing. I think that they're not canceling for sure. They're going to push, try to push to spring. Yeah. But we also had the Mountain West announce that they're done. Um, we've had, I think, six conferences in the FCS division, so they're not going to have a playoff at all. Um, and, you know, we've also had the Ivy League. We've also had um, – I can't remember which other uh, conference the, – the MAC conference, the Mid-American conference. So it's going to be real tight. And I'm not quite sh- sure if only half the schools play, if, if somehow they have a college season and only half schools play. Is there a legitimate national champion is my question. Um, I would say no, that would be, it would have to be deferred, right? I mean, like, what, what else can you do? Like, it would have to just be deferred. I, I have not heard anything about the NFL um, potentially not coming back. It seems like they've always been full steam ahead. I mean, who knows, maybe they, they have had that discussion, but it doesn't seem like that's ever been a question whether it's coming back or not. It feels like they're like all systems go. Yeah, I think Hope the NFL player. is going to do whatever they can to play but I think the reality, too, is in a lot of the coaches are anticipating at some point there'll probably be a stoppage. Um, yeah. Because, look, football is not baseball, and we've seen what happens in baseball with the breakouts. Yeah. And they're not creating a bubble like the NBA or the WNBA or the yeah. NHL where we've seen no cases inside right. bubbles. Yeah. Everywhere there's been no bubble, we get cases, and yeah. football is, the, is a contact all up in your body sport. Super contact. I mean, super. I just don't think people really understand the, I still don't think they understand what coronavirus and COVID-19 are. There's no way they can, because it's obvious that something's off with the comprehension. Have you seen, I mean, I was, I was looking at the numbers and, and I've had, I've been hosting, filling in on a radio show and I get these people calling in and say, they keep pushing that party line. Kids are impervious. College students will be just fine. And yet we've seen 36 deaths of people under the age of 18. We just had a seven-year-old die last week in this country. A healthy seven-year-old, no pre-existing conditions. The the corona positive cases for children in the U.S. has jumped up to 91%. Like what else, what other numbers do they need? In a month. the NBA is trying. I don't think the NFL is even trying. But didn't Russell um, Wilson and a few others basically make it clear that there has to be some type of guidelines or something in place. Otherwise, they're not going to play. Yeah, I think there are a lot of players, both, um, and, and we'll get into the college side a little bit more in a minute, but I think that there are still players who have heavy concerns because until you have uniform guidelines and that every team has to do the exact mm-hmm. same thing, I think it's, yes. you are setting a dangerous precedent. Um, yeah. If you're leaving it up to teams, even with training camp, and you see this, some training camps like the New Orleans Saints – most of those players will be at the Lowe's Hotel downtown. Yeah. But a lot of them can still go home. Yeah. And you're going to be with these guys all day, and then you're going to go home to your families. Yeah. Are they all going to practice? You know, are they going to go into these safe rooms, clean, change their clothes, do all those things before they interact with their families? A lot of these players have kids who are starting school in Louisiana yeah. right now or all over the country, depending on your yeah. team. Those kids are, as we've seen, with schools reopening. They're carrying this virus faster and spreading it than anyone. 
They are. They are. And that's, I think that the, the NFL is going to try, but I think once training camp comes around and, and those players start testing positive for COVID, I think it's going to be another shutdown. I think they're being overly ambitious um, and not being realistic, but that's not the first time the NFL has acted in its own defense. And all they really care about is the money and the bottom line. That's, that's what all this is about. This, yeah. is, this has nothing to do with people. Um, and the NBA will give more and give more and lean more. The NFL just kind of like, this is what we're doing. This is where we're at, period. The, yeah, the NBA is the best at, at managing yeah. public relations and all this. Yeah. Because the NBA has its own problems. Right. And, <laughs> right. But they do the best job of managing and keeping their players from speaking out too much against the league. Right. So, yeah, the NFL, no such intelligence there. No, no never, never has been, never will be. There's a lot of things I want to get into you with. So let's talk about, okay, so you, you go to LA and you're making this transition into media. You've, been, you've done it both on the sports side and commentary, and you're also a healthy relationship expert. You do radio shows across the country. You do yeah. seminars, all these things. How does your love for sports on one side draw you into the media and how do this passion for creating healthy relationships, how do those things kind of tie together? And then how do they serve you in different ways? I mean, I've always had a passion for sports, you know, the NFL to be more specific, not the biggest basketball fan, but I can speak fluently to basketball. Um, how I marry them in is I'm also a domestic violence educator and counselor. Um, and so when I look at sports and I look at just over the history of things that have happened in sports and scandals and domestic violence, um, I started to really feel like there needs to be a little bit more uh, invested into prevention. A lot of these leagues, they specialize in responding, but they don't put a lot of money into prevention. And so every single athlete that has one of these domestic violence moments, um, they're all not abusers. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I understand. You find yourself in an abusive situation, but that doesn't mean that you're abusive. Most um, an argument went too far and, you know, it got too hostile and then that happened. So I feel like just being in sports and having the relationships that I have and the passion I have about teaching um, men and women how to de-escalate, specifically in NBA players, NFL players, I, there has to be a better way. That's me a better way. So I feel like just like I do with the um, Department of Probation or inmate services in prisons, it's the same thing I feel like with athletes. It's just a matter of giving them the tools to understand what's an unhealthy relationship, how your healthy relationship may be coming unhealthy, how to navigate that in the safest way possible. And so just the love for sports, the love for healthy relationships, you know, I just every now and then or a few times a year, they kind of come crashing together like they did the other day. I forgot the young athlete's name. Of course, you know it. The one who just got dropped by the Redskins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Darius uh, guys from LSU. Yeah, so there, there we have it. Um, there we have it. Another situation I went too far. We have to find a way. We have to find a way. What's interesting is you have you've also worked at high schools. Yes, I work in high schools. Yeah, and to me, that's where that culture really starts to explode. You know, I played high school sports. I've been around locker rooms my entire life with right. young men, and 
I know how we talked in the locker room. Yeah. I know what our thoughts in, about women were at that age. Yeah. And we also know from the studies that too many young ladies in high school think abuse is okay. It starts you know? at 12 years old. I'm so, if, if someone's going to be abusive, it starts as young as 12. And so to me, it's in the interest of the NFL, major leagues, all those things, NBA, to start those things even earlier because yeah. we're teaching these kids early on to be aggressive, to act on yeah. your aggression, that no is not an answer, right. that you are supposed to find the way to get to yes. Yeah. And you teach that to somebody who's 15, 16 and hormonal, yeah. that's probably the worst advice that you can give them because yeah. we make our worst decisions when we are engaged too much emotionally. Yeah, and, and also when you think about it, David, um, when it comes to African-Americans, you know, I'm not just, it's, it's a race thing. We are, um, we had the largest numbers of African-Americans in basketball and in football. But at the same time, I, I, it's just, it's so frustrating. I think sometimes the wall that I, that I hit is because the teams care about the team's best interest, right? They care about their bottom line. The agents care about their commission and their bottom line. What's sad is that a lot of these leagues, they have players that are so young. They're so young. And they're being put in situations with, no, with nobody to help guide them and lead them. So what do you do when you take a 24-year-old, a 21-year-old who has a $20 million contract, you know, um, accessible to any kind of women that they want, it's a recipe for disaster. There's no education. The, the people surrounding them only care about their money and not the players. And to me, it's just, I just feel like it's inevitable. What do you think lends itself to the culture of permissiveness? Because whether it's Floyd Mayweather or yeah. whether we're talking about like Darius Geis right now, huh. or, you know, you go back to, I mean, like you said, the, the list of names yeah. And, and women, too. I mean, we saw Brittany Griner in the WNBA yeah. have a trial problem. We saw in, in Shamiqua Holesclaw fire a gun at her partner. Um, so let's just, I'll stop you right there for a second, just so you know that domestic violence is way higher um, with same-sex couples. Way higher. That match Man. of energy. That match yep. of energy. Yep. And, and so if you're both sending the same energy, you know how it is if you find somebody who argues like you. Yeah. I know when I run into people who argue like me, it, it doesn't end. It just goes and goes and goes. And they feel like they're, they feel like they're equals, right? Mm -hmm. So like when it's a man and a woman, um, the male is the dominant. So it's considered, you know, abuse. But when it's two women who, who, who view each other as equals, of course, they're going to go at it. They're not going to see it as domestic violence. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a fight. Yeah. And it's not a relationship thing. It's we're the same size. Let's square up. And <laughs> pretty much not. And I, I think we've just done a bad job of creating this sense of, well, I mean, even going back to Ray Rice, we are, the first thing we do is try to, and, and one of the things you said earlier, we, we only look at the outcome, not the reason and not the way that we got to that outcome. It, it's, that's a horrible way to start the discussion. Yeah. I mean, and they're, again, they're, they're, putting in, they're put in unfortunate situations you know, they have all this money. They have these guys that hang around that they've known since, you know, they were a year old. Who knows? So there's just, just a lot that goes into it. Um, and I just don't think, I know, actually, that these young people just, they're not mature enough. But that's understandable, right? Like, they're, they're in their 20s, their early 20s. 
we, I mean, do we really expect them to just know without being taught? And I feel like the NFL players, I'm sorry, the teams could save themselves a whole lot of money, not to mention they, they can, they can risk losing championships because if your main star gets caught in a domestic violence situation, what are you going to do? The same way they dropped Ray Rice, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. so it's in their best interest, I feel, to educate their, or at least pretend like they care. Yeah, I mean, in any workplace, to me, the health of your employees is yeah. paramount. And we've kind of lost that as a whole in America. We've been treating employees as disposable yeah. so much more. And no place does that more than sports, in particular the NFL, which churns yeah. out bodies like crazy. Yeah. There has not been the same type of, of, of investment in mental health in the NFL that even that we've seen now in the NBA. Yeah. How important is it for them to start investing in long-term, not just short-term, but long-term? I'm having these conversations, you know, because it's necessary. And even for the agents, if you only hear about your bottom line, that's fine. But bottom line, you know what I mean? Like, don't you want your, 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 your athletes to play, have a long career, make a lot of money? It's almost like it's in everybody's best interest, but yet it's not happening. And you could take that from high school, you could take it to college sports, you could take it all the way up to professional sports. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah, that, that culture of abuse is something that we just because whether it's hazing, where we see these yeah. teams, yeah, and and it's and the hazing is over sexual too. You know, yeah. we see the penetration with objects and in, in young men and women, these types of things to degrade them sexually and yeah. demasculine uh demasculinize these young men and yeah. or it, it's that culture of sport that we don't want to talk about is so vital for us to bring to the front and start addressing these things because ultimately it's not the kid's fault at 16 years old. It's our fault as adults for not addressing these issues and being honest with them. And we can even peel back another layer and say a lot of these athletes are from a one parent home. Their, their parents, you know, they're from a single parent home. So it's like, you know, how are they going to know how to navigate relationships and how to navigate love if they've never seen it? If my mom and dad weren't still married, you know, at 43 years right now, how would I know? I wouldn't have anything to go off of. They don't have anything to go off of. So it's, it's you feel bad for them. You're mad when you see them do something that jeopardizes their well-being. But at the same time, like, you can't blame them. If there's no education, how do you expect them to know? There's grown adults that don't know how to have healthy relationships and they're in their thirties and forties. Why would you expect a 21 year old, you know, with multi-million dollar contracts to know what to do? As, they if, don't. as if money brings common sense or brings um, maturity and it yeah. does not, it just provides yeah. you access to satiate your worst yeah. impulses. It makes the, it makes the water really murky. Absolutely. Um, Let's say you've had a tremendous year of growth. When you go out as a female journalist, or I mean, excuse me, a female content creator, mm-hmm. you're judged in a number of different ways that I'm not judged in. Absolutely, yeah. So when you go in and talk about relationships, you're judged on your physicality, you're judged mm-hmm. on your voice, you're judged on your appearance, you're judged on your expertise level, especially yeah. when you come into the sports arena too. You're going to be tested in that regard. Yeah. How do you navigate that personally and not be frustrated by it? And then when you work or talk with younger women who are trying to follow in these open spaces, whether it's 
doing what you do or in some other public arena or even just in the regular workspace, how to deal with the presumptions that come with being a woman in these professional spaces? If I didn't get my start in the music industry, this would probably be a little bit more frustrating to navigate. But because I'm a product of the music world, um, record labels and, and working major artists in a, do a male dominated industry, um, I think that that prepared me for this unknowingly, of course, you know, when I was working at Interscope, working for Vibe Magazine, working in New York, um, I didn't know that this is where I would be at 38. But again, I'm, I've learned how to navigate men um, and how to, how to understand that the things that they do are not okay. Um, but at the same time, like as women, you got to make sure that men understand that, no, I'm not going to lay on my back to get ahead. No, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go out on a date to have access to your client. Um, you have to be willing to take the long route because when you do it on your own and you do it without um, having to compromise your integrity and who you are as a woman, it may take a little bit longer. And that's okay because you're building it based off of your talent, you know, your know-how, your relationships. But when you start asking for those favors and, you know, feeling like you have to go through somebody else, then you'll become a victim of it. And these men will run through you like the Holland Tunnel. I mean, I'm just saying that they would. So exterior, because I come from music. So yeah, you're not going to be able to, um, to navigate me and to get me to do what you may want me to do for an interview, you know, for an opportunity, I'm not doing it. But I've been saying no to the same thing since I was 18. Right. And, yeah. but it, it, and again, when we talk about this, both as you as a woman and as an African-American, we expect our allies and you as a black woman expect me as a man yeah. to stand up when somebody says or does something in the office place that is inappropriate. Same mm -hmm. thing as we expect out of our white allies in doing yeah. in, in trying to get equality in this country. Do you think that you get enough support in the business world from men that is authentic yeah. and both, both authentic and, um, forceful enough to help make those changes? I do. I'm really lucky because I have a very strong army um, of men that surround me, meaning like they watch for the hit. Do you know what I mean? Like they, mm -hmm. and these are not men that are like, oh, okay, I'm going to help you because you're attractive. I'm going to help you because, you know, I want something from you. These are men that are like, you're different. And I know people say that you're different, but you're really different. And, you know, like they, they you know, the same protect so-and-so at all costs. I feel like they protect me at, at all costs. Um, and they are willing to come into rooms with me where the focus might not be on what I'm saying. The focus may be on, you know, all of this. Um, they're willing to walk in certain spaces with me and keep the conversation where it needs to be. Um, and so I'm protected in a lot of ways. And I'm grateful for that because I know a lot of women aren't, but I definitely have some pretty big decision makers who have my back and I don't take that for granted. How important is that for anybody? That skill of networking and creating those people who can be both barriers and keys to open those doors to, to places that you can't normally get into on your own. I mean, I think yeah. we all fail initially in understanding just how important it is to network. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's extremely important. Relationships are everything. I don't care what industry you're in. You could be a, a background dancer. You could be, you know, an artist. You could be an athlete. You could be. It all just comes down to 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 your to your your Rolodex. At the end of the day, it it is talent, but it's also in who you know. Who you know will help propel you forward at a faster rate. Um, but I still don't think that that means you can't be successful because even into the music industry, I didn't know that many people. I had to build those relationships and they're important because there's always going to be somebody that says, Oh, you know what? I, you know, let me hit David Grubb. You know, let me hit Aisha. There's someone that I think would be dope for this. When you build relationships, your name is dropped in circles, even when you're not there. Yeah, I was, I was talking. And one of the things that I've started saying is your identity is more important than your brand. And yeah. I am focused on my brand. I do it yeah. all the time. I'm, you know, I'm, always talking about HITP. I'm always talking about those things, but at the same time, the authenticity of me um, is the only thing that's going to sell me at the end of the day. If people don't right. buy me, if they don't understand, because that's what we're selling. Yeah. That's what we're selling. I, you right. can go get content. You can go get these things that, that you and I both produce. Yeah. There are thousands of other outlets to get these same things from, yeah. but I need those people to trust me and my voice and my actions. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, that you have to have that lack of fear to, to, to have somebody tell you no. Yeah, you have to. Um, and you have, you, you have to have thick skin. You know, like you can't, you can't be soft in this industry. You can't be soft in the sports world. You just can't be, you'll get ran over. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, I really appreciate moments like this. Again, when two content creators, like we've done in the past, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know, I've called you plenty of times. At one point, I blew your phone up. I, <laughs> yes. needed, I needed help with everything and you helped me with it and if you notice I'm now able to stand on my own a little bit more you know but I was able to go to you and you took time out of your life to say this is what you need because I'm so focused on content that there's a lot of other areas that I lack in you know so the fact that you could find people that you trust that trust you and you could have those vulnerable moments you know where you have to you could have doubt and uncertainty, um, we still need places to go to be doubtful and unsure. No matter what this content looks like to the viewers, they don't know what goes on behind the scenes. They don't know. All they know is that we produce content that they like. They don't know all the other shit. No. <laughs> How many times you've looked at something and said, this is trash. I can't do this. You know, and just... How many drafts yeah. you threw away and stuff? Or your, many- non, or your non-motivating days. Like, there's oh days where I'm sure you have them too. We're tired. You know, but we don't really get that luxury. No, we don't. You feel bad because I don't think you take breaks. Do you ever take breaks? Because I, I say every month I may take a three or four break where I'm not really posting a lot on Instagram. Twitter's different. You know, we can start a dialogue on Twitter and then it'll just go. Yeah. It'll catch fire and it'll be gone for the whole yep. day. Um, but the time set, I don't feel like it. Maybe I'm tired. You know, maybe you're tired. I feel guilty when yeah. I'm not producing content. And I think that people also don't realize um, as content creators that social media is now workforce. It absolutely We have enjoyable moments. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's work for us. We don't just pick up the phone and just freely tweet or post. Everything's business. When you kind of disappear yeah. for a day, yeah. either people are looking for you. They look. Or they stop checking for you, which is even yeah. worse. You know, because then you're like, I, I don't want to lose my audience because they're, they're used to this consistent level. But it's hard. Like you said, that balancing that 
me time versus understanding the immediacy of the way people want information is so difficult. Um, Let's move on. Oh, I'm sorry. um, My followers in particular, like Mm -hmm. they, I share with them sometimes. I'm like, listen, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not in the space. I'm not posting because I'm tired or like they understand. And they're always like, you know, well, you should rest. Aisha. So they're understanding, but don't get me wrong. If, if I go longer than like four days, they're definitely in my team. Like, okay, that's, you know, I know you needed to, to reset, but are you done? So yeah, you even hit me up. Cause we hadn't hear, heard from each other in like four days. And yeah. you're like, are you all right? You good? Yeah. <laughs> like, things change from moment to moment. Like, are yeah. you good? You know, we have to ask each other, are you okay? You know? <laughs> and it's, again, that's so important. And one of the things that I, I think it's a good transition to is because when we talk about sports and relationship building, I think one of the ones that's also neglected is the way we view athletes yeah. and their humanity versus their yeah. commodity. Yeah. And that discussion is becoming... The mo- one of the most important discussions we're having in sports with these college athletes in particular who are demanding for the yeah. first time in a louder voice some rights and some freedoms. And the coaching dynamic is such that there is no question. It is a dictatorship. Yeah. And these are – we, we try to pick and choose with college players in particular when they are children and when they are adults. They're yeah. all adults when it's time to play. Yeah. It's when it comes to their outside actions. Yeah. And I think that in this case, how do we start changing the perception of us as fans and as society as whole and stop looking at athletes like thoroughbreds and start understanding that they're human beings? Um, I think you start by realizing that they are human beings and not commodity and not assets. I mean, you know, they're human beings. And I don't think that people care enough about their well-being, even like all the way down to college. The fact that these, you know, these young men have been bringing in billions of dollars for these universities and getting paid pennies. Like, it's, it's ridiculous to me. It's, 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 to me, that's inhumane, you know? Um, not to mention, again, they come from, from single-parent homes. Or they feel the burden of carrying their families and taking care of their mothers. Um, I would go as far as to say that African-American people, we tend to understand the, the issues with the, with the athletes and we understand the mental issues and what they're up against. But it doesn't seem like a lot of the, um, the higher ups and executives see it the same. Again, high school is different. I'm sorry, college is different. NBA is different. College basketball is different. In, um, NFL, I'm sorry, uh, pro football or college football is different. And I think that they, they set the tone because you're, you're so disregarded um, from a young age, if you think about it, David. They, a lot of these guys played Pop Warner. You know, um, they play in travel ball teams and, and basketball. They're, you know, they went to college and, and they're used to being disregarded. They're used to being looked at as just, you know, a commodity that brings in millions and billions for these companies. And that's the part that's sad because I don't, I don't know how many people they have that are there to attend to the mental well-being of their players. It makes no sense because, again, when you talk about players, you want longevity. You want your stars to, to play good. You want them to bring in revenue, but yet you don't want to invest in their well-being. You don't want to invest in, in their day-to-day life. You don't want to invest in their mental health. Do you know what I mean? Like that, to me, that's crazy. You don't care that they're on the field and they're worried about their mom who may have gotten an eviction notice 
whose lights are being turned off. So you expect them to just show up and play, but you don't care about their lives or the quality of their lives. You don't even care about what they care about. That bothers me. Yeah, it's, it's, we're so willing to put these young men on the field for our entertainment. And the guarantees are out there, particularly with COVID-19, that there are going to be deaths if you have football. There are going to be illnesses. We're seeing, like you said, those numbers are just so staggering. But there's so much pressure on these young men. The yeah. power dynamics are incredibly unbalanced between yeah. the university, the athletic director, the head coach, the alumni, the state putting pressure on kids in these cases to play yeah. for their, you know, honor. How do you say no, even if you have real concerns, if you're, a, like you said, those same parents who think that this might be their path out of poverty, yeah. for those same kids who feel the burden of all those things on their shoulders. You know, yeah. I'm not going to forget Zion Williamson crying when he got drafted or when Stephon Marbury cried because he was the hope of his whole family to get to that point. And there are so many of these kids who live that when so few are going to make it. And yet, that power, you do not have the power as a student athlete to work for your own benefit. Yeah, I mean, they strip them of it. They strip them of it. And, and to me, it's, it's, it's no different than, I mean, I hate to use this analogy, but it's the truth. To me, it's, it's no different than, you know, um, slaves <laughs> being, you know, forced to work, you know, and told, oh, you're going to get paid. We're going to give you this money down the line. You know, if, if you sharecropping, if you're going to do this, you mm-hmm. know, good things are going to come. Like, I feel like they do the same thing with these, these college players. Like, you know, I know you're struggling now, but, you know, just keep working hard. And, you know, one day it's going to work out for you and just hold on to it. To me, it just sounds like a, a pipe dream, the way that they handle them. Because the reality is, David, all of them are not going to make it to the league. That's just the truth. A lot of them won't make it to the league, but it's like, I feel like they've been trained and conditioned to put their well-being on the back burner. Yeah. That, uh, that part of that stripping of that identity is set is, you know, when you call people by their number, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you're not your name anymore. You're yep. number 53, you're yep. number 41. And, and that's how you are treated. Yes. That's in many ways. And, and, and people will say, Oh, maybe you're overreacting. That's in many ways, a prison mentality. You are That's your a, number. You are not your name. It's no different than an inmate. Inmate 12, NG. <laughs> that's, that's who you are. You're just, you're just another number, but you know what? It starts from the top down and it starts at ownership and that energy, that dismissive energy, that, um, that lack of empathy that they have, it just gets passed down. So if upper management, if the general managers, if the owners, if that's their way of being, then they're going to pass that energy down to the coaches and that's going to be how the coaches move. And then you're going to pass it down to the, to the players and they're at the bottom. And they internalize that. Yes. Go ahead. I just think we have been conditioned, particularly in 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 sports. Yeah. And and it's it's it goes to us for in so many different levels of society. But in sports, we are conditioned to to continue that subservient role of there is an absolute voice and we follow it. And when we step out of line, the problems are much different than when they step out of line. Right. And, and, and we see it like we're not we're not crazy. We see it. We know what's going on. But to be honest, David, I'm out here every single day having conversations with the Players Association basketball, you know, starting a conversation in football. I'm not going to stop because I feel like this is needed. It's needed. And, you know, 
thank God I have the tools and the credentials to, to bring it to these people, um, to bring it to these teams, to bring it to these organizations. And I just, I feel like someone has to care about them. And if nobody else is willing to do that, then I feel like I am. So I, I want to be able to talk to them about unhealthy relations. I want them to understand that they matter. I want them to understand that, yes, you're, you are an asset and you, you bring income and you bring something to the table, but your mental health matters too. Your state of being matters too. Your, you know, your, the matters of your heart matters too. Those things matter. And so I, I think we just have to teach men um, that they have a voice too. And it's not just about women. Like they get mistreated too. And unfortunately, because men are men, it gets swept under the rug, you know, man up. This is what you do. You know what I mean? Like you show up when you're hurting. You show up when you're broken. You show up and play when you lose a loved one. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. okay, well, you, you, you done We criticize them. If somebody goes to the birth of their child, we criticize them. We wouldn't do that in any other part of life. Right. If, if, you, if, if I'm at work and my wife is pregnant and today she's delivering, nobody's going right. to say you should be at work today. Right. And we don't want to hear people like Tim Debo talk about some, you know, teams are about, you know, unity and about us, especially when you bought your way into where you're at. Your family bought your way into where you're at. Like, yeah. you're only there because of your family, who your family knew. You didn't earn this. So they don't, they don't understand, the, the, you know, the frustration. And I don't mean to make this a black issue, but it's hard to ignore the fact that black athletes get the shorter end of the stick. You know, so when we see them rewarded with these amazing contracts like Patrick Mahomes, like James Harden had a few years back, like these, you feel proud for them. Because it's like, finally, you know, like you're going to be okay. And that's really all that they want. They just want to know that they're going to be okay. But they're still not. That's the thing, too, is that money does not buy you um, a different color skin. Because, you, you know, so you're yeah. still dealing with those issues. You just have money now, which also makes you a target. And, yeah. I, you know, I understand the NFL. Like you said, you work with the NFL. You're trying to get them to understand these things. Yeah. But it has to be part of your ongoing culture. It can't be just a seminar at, when it, at the rookie symposium, it can't yeah. be something that you come in and talk about at training camp yeah. because changing and, and improving these behaviors has to have consistent reinforcement. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and it's, I think when more people have, I think that, I think that's, it's, it's a starting point. I don't know if we're ever going to see in our lifetime <laughs> where um, players are given their, you know, their, their respect and the things that they deserve, but I do feel like, you know, to see how they were speaking out about the football thing and, you know, Russell Wilson and other people, it's like they're starting to get it. Like this COVID thing really has them saying, you know what? No, stop. Like, you know, like now we're getting serious. Like when you talk about things like CTE or injuries and things like that, but now you're talking about the fact that these men could bring viruses home to their unborn child, you know, their child their wife, their girlfriend, their kids at home. Their like, parents. You know, I think we're going to see something. Their parents. I think we're going to see something here. It'd be interesting to see if football makes it because the athletes seem to have drove, um, put their line in the sand. And I, I'm all for it. I'm all for, uh, for empowerment. And yeah. I'm all for trying to balance this playing field. Yeah. Because to me, it should be a partnership situation rather than an ownership situation. The, the, the owners can't exist without players right. and the players know the game can't exist without the owners to financially back it. But right. I, I just, the, this, the way the system now is on every level, because yeah. if Pat Mahomes can get that money, then the team has way more to pay him that. 
Wait, you know what I'm so yeah. don't Wait. think Pat Mahomes got over because the yeah. Chiefs view it as a bargain or else they wouldn't have signed it. Yeah, they, they, I mean, it was a good move. He's, I respect him. I respect the fact that he bought into the, to the, um, to the Royals. Wait, is it the Royals? Chiefs. <laughs> Chiefs. No, the, the, the baseball, the football Oh, the team. baseball team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah he did buy a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, was it, it was the Royals. Yeah. So he bought into that. Like, that was so smart. And also, I think we need to, and aside from mental health, David, we got to also figure out, they need financial education. They need to understand financial literacy. Like, like. Because then what good is having all this money if you, if you don't understand the importance of like investing? But when I talk about healthy and unhealthy relationships in the sports world, we can't stop at owners, general, you know, GMs, players. It goes all the way down to family. family yep. And that family could end them even faster because they don't know how to navigate those relationships. They, they've never had this money. Their family never had access to someone who has this money. And there's a lot of fallout. There's a lot of fallout, fallout with these players um, and a lot of unhappiness and depression because now their safe space, what used to be at home with their parents, their mothers, now it's becoming a, a source of contention. Yes. And that's another area that they need to navigate. They're, they're up a hill. They have uphill battle, these athletes. This and I think is- conversations like this, you know, um, hopefully will help people understand that just because they're rich doesn't mean you can't have compassion for them. People say, oh, well, I don't care. I don't care about rich people problems. No, well, well you probably should. You know what I mean? Because th- that's one thing we all have in common is that we're on this earth. We're doing our best every day to be as best as we can. And we need all the support and help that we could get. And that's not just an athlete thing. That's a David thing. That's an Aisha thing. That's a league-wide thing. It's a world thing. And I think just having these conversations that um, humanize these athletes are necessary. And they also need to make sure that they're protecting themselves um, because no one else is going to do it. Yeah, I, I want us to do this more often because I think that there's so many different individual aspects we can talk about yeah. in these relationship dynamics. So I hope we do get to do this again because I would like to individualize some of those things because when we talk about money management and the relationships between players and their families, their friends, their agents, all those things, and what is also known as survivor's remorse that yeah. you got out and others didn't. Yeah. And so I think there's so many other layers that we can get into. And I want yeah. us to get back together and have another conversation really soon. I'm, so, I'm, I'm always welcome. Anything you call me for, I'm always here. So just well, I'll be please tell the folks how they can follow you. Tell your folks about your website and tell them about uh, all other great stuff you do. So you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Aisha Dill, A-I-S-H-I-A-D-E-A-L. Um, my podcast is Shit Women Think About. That's on Spotify, um, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, and you can catch me doing my relationship thing um, in the Kansas City, Miami, um, North Carolina, Louisville. South Carolina. South Carolina. That's exactly. Dallas. <laughs> there's, there's many ways to follow me, but yep. um, if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to see all the things that I'm doing and how you want to support. Yep, and she does awesome uh, live um, IG shows too. Um, great conversations there, conversation on the rocks, yes. stuff like that. So, um, a, that's another thing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> a great and inspiring follow too. She gives great um, just messages each day, and and like you said, you're honest. When you're having bad feelings, when you're feeling it's a rough day, you ain't gonna lie. And when you when you um, feel like you need to boost somebody up, yeah. you're there to do that. And uh, I appreciate you as a friend. Um, and as a colleague, and um, I look forward to 
talking to you, of course, offline real soon. Yes, likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. That's uh, another episode for you of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. We'll have more for you tomorrow. Of course, again, follow me at DM Grubb and check out the website, HITPwithDG.com. Until the next time, see you.